Our Father, this morning as we uh, come to this time of being in your word together, we thank you that you are a God that is so good. And Father, as we've sung to you this morning, we want you to know that we want to be a people who discover how to praise you on deeper and deeper levels. Father, we pray that, Lord, your work of your Spirit's presence in our lives, our broken lives, would be made new. Father, this morning as we've walked through these doors, many of us have have got different experiences that, uh, Lord, sometimes feel hopeless. We thank you for your Spirit's presence. And we ask you to speak to us in a fresh way. Help us know how to worship you at a new level today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church family, good to be with you. The last two weeks, you've heard me talk about Priscilla being gone. And uh, she's back here. She's working the Welcome Center. I don't see her right now. She's in here somewhere. Right there she is. And, uh, you know, I told you not to tell her about how good her leftovers were, but I want you to know the real thing's better than the leftovers. You know, she's, it's just been good. She came in Thursday night late, got here a little early, and uh, we got down to see her mom on Friday, and you know, just back in the regular cycle of life, but uh, it was good to have her. One, investing in our, our daughter and son-in-law and those four grandkids in Turkey, and uh, then to have her back. Well, church, I've been looking forward to this Sunday from when I knew I wanted to walk us through Ephesians chapter 1. Today, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to make sure if you've got a Bible, if you've got an app, if you've got it, we're going to look at some words because today's word is very, very unusual. And uh, I've just been looking forward to getting to share it with you. So for those of you that have not been here uh, these weeks... Where we're going as a church family is the longest sentence in the New Testament. It's Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, down through verse 14. And that sentence, as Paul is writing to the church, is just, I envision his heart just bubbling up. He, He can't control his thoughts, his worship, his insight that he's had for all these years. He's writing this towards the end of his life of who the Lord is, and he wants us to get it. And so the first three we've already covered, and today is verb number four. So as is our habit to respect the Word of God as it has authority over every one of us, I want to ask you to stand as I read Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14. I'm going to read it for you. And uh, just follow along in your heart, just listening to what comes out of Paul's heart as he speaks to us. So Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of of his grace 
which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, as Paul pours that out, ending that your glory, who you are, the way you reveal yourself, that that would be praised by every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. Father, that's our prayer today. Help us understand more about that glory that you're wanting us to discover. And Father, may it change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You all be seated. Seven rocket verbs. As Paul's thinking about what God has done for him, who he is in Christ, in the Father, he, he wants us to discover these seven things that God and only God can do. That first one, that he's a blesser, that he's blessed us in Christ. Secondly, that he chose us, even as... He blessed us. The first, the next activity that God did was that he chose us before the foundation of the world. And then in that envelope of love that I talked about last week, that he's a loving father, he predestined us for adoption. He predestined before the foundation of the world was laid. He was saying, what I want with my mankind is I want a relationship that's a family relationship. I am their father. Those are the first three. Now, you know, I love the Bible. We study the Bible. It's, it's the word of God. It's empowered by the spirit of God for us to understand who he is. And there's sometimes that there's just some things that help us dig deeper. Well, when you get a list of seven, you know, there's a middle one. Well, today's the middle one. There's three verbs before, and after this Sunday, we're going to take this one, and then there's three verbs after that. You know, Paul didn't come and tell me it's important, but just thinking about what this word, the one that he chose for the middle one of the seven, I think he thinks it's really important. And so for us to take it apart, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to walk us through some, and some of you may get bored with this, okay? But there's four prepositions that we've got to understand to get to the verb. Now, I don't know if, I'm not really a super sports guy. I like football. That's probably number one. Number two, I really enjoy basketball. Baseball, I'm getting a, I'm getting a, a real enjoyment of baseball. Golf, not so much. Just not into that. 
uh, which it was. There's a lot of guys that like to play golf, and I played a little bit of it. But you know, the, act, the action sports, things happen so fast that you don't get to really enjoy the building up to what's going to happen. Now, I know there's, there's some quarterbacks that they can drop back and they can watch everything out there on the field unfold, and, you know, they're knowing where they want to go over here, over here, you know, that whole thing. But if we think about that sport, I don't like golf. Have you ever watched guys get ready to hit the ball? You know, they, they stand up, they look at the little ball there, and then they're, they're swinging everything, and they you know, swing them back once or twice, and they're doing all that preliminary stuff. It's like with free throws. You watch a guy, I've heard coaches say, before you shoot your free throw, do the same thing. If you're going to bounce it, bounce it three times, and then hold it, and then just do it. Do, get you into that pattern. Well, guess what? I'm going to introduce to you what I think is Paul's pattern. He's going to walk us through prepositions to get us to the verb. Don't get bored, okay? Because there's four of them. And it's going to take us a little time to walk our way through. So let's get started with the first one. The first preposition goes back. Get your Bibles out. Look at that that verb, the verse before we get in in verse 5. He says, he predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of his will. And I talked last week about God's will, and God's will is that we'd be in relationship. The purpose, that purposed will, is relationship with us. But it starts with that preposition, according to. According to means it was determined by. And so as Paul's getting ready to lead us to this next verb, he says, okay, God is determining by the purpose of his will, his, according to that purposed will, he's determining to do something for us. It's determined by his will. And that will has a purpose. And that purpose we know starts before the foundation of the world. And so folks, that's no much bigger than any of us in this room. We, it's hard for us to get our hearts around that. But it is determined by what God wants to do. Determined by that purposed will. Second preposition. It says, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glory. Now, there's our next one. To. To the praise. Now, y'all, I've talked a little bit about heaven that heaven is going to be eternity. We're, we're not going to be bored. I'll guarantee you the, the pictures of what we've seen of angels flying around and playing harps and that whole stuff, that's not what heaven's going to be like. I'll guarantee you. But he's saying that his purposed will, that according to what he determined to do, is to, and a to preposition is a destination. He's wanting to get us to something. And what God wants us to be is a people of praise. That we are going to praise and worship and honor him. And this morning, I don't know about you, but I just needed the time of praise and worship that we had. The words that we said to him. What that stirred up in our hearts. And so, God's determination, the purpose of what he's up to, is that we would be a people of who praise him. Now, church, just let me tell you, there's a bit of a deception going on that the thing that God so wants from us is work. 
Now, yes, he's given us plenty of places where he says, this is how I want my people to live. This is how I want my people to be in relationship. Husbands, here's how I want you to treat your wives. Wives, here's how I want you to treat your husbands. Here's what I want you to do with the forsaken people. There's plenty in the Bible about work. But let me tell you, work secondary to praise. Priscilla and I, you've heard me tell, tell this over and over. We were missionaries. We went cross-culturally, served on the mission field. And one of the special memories I have is when I learned this kind of in a fresh way is when my son, who was a worship leader, reminded me, he says, hey, Dad, guess what? You've got part-time work. Because, guess, the day is coming where we're not going to need a missionary. The, the telling, the proclaiming, the making known of all that God has done and making the opportunity for people to respond to him, that will come to an end. And on that day, missionaries are out of work. But guess what? Worship leaders aren't. Worship leaders have got to work for eternity because God wants us to be a praising people. And so learning how to worship and praise is an eternal thing. And so while, yes, we're going to talk about how we live and how we're different and the work that we do, don't let that rob the foundation which is we are a people who worship and praise a blessing, a choosing, a predestining, and a blessing God. It starts with our praise of Him. So determined by His purposed will to get us to be a praising people, and then the next paragraph, it says what we're going to praise. It says to the praise of... There's preposition number three, sorry, numbers, right? Number three, to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, I've told you before, we preachers have got a challenge because we use words that we don't use them out there in the everyday world all the time. And so here's two of them back to back, and I have mentioned them before, but it's so important to Paul's heart for us to catch these two words side by side. First of all, glorious. Remember I said God's glory, and that was the last word of this prayer. It's in verse 14. The last word is to his glory. Glory is the pulling back of the curtain to see the goodness, to see the how bright, how wonderful, how good God is. That's his glory. I wish I had done my homework and got you the verse. But in the book of Revelation, there's some really strange stuff. Okay? There's two critters in the book of Revelation that are weird. I'm just, I can't wait to get there. I want to I see them. They're not going to see me. They, I want to see them. What they are, they're the creatures with eyes. And I think if I remember just off the top of my head, 24, they got, they got a lot of eyes, Okay? And those eyes have been focused on the Lord from the instant he created them. And they've done nothing but look at him and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And every one of those eyes are fixated on him. Now let me just remind you of what they weren't fixated on. They could care less about the day that the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. 
they could care less about November 22, 1963, when many of us in this room, because you're all like me, you earned this stuff, you were alive on, on November 22, 1963. You can go right to where you were when you heard that John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. But on that day, those two creatures were just saying the same thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, let me tell you, that's a hint. They're not bored. Every time they say, holy is the Lord God Almighty, they just have discovered a new depth of His goodness. They're not tired. And they've been doing this ever since they were created. And they've been given enough eyes to focus on Him and enjoy Him fresh every time they speak. Now, that is God's glory at work in the hearts of those two creatures. And that's his plan for us. And so when Paul says that according, determined by what his purpose will, what he wants to do, and to get us to be a praising people who praise his glorious grace, so that glory that you just can't get enough of, that glorious grace. Grace is God's gift to us when we're a sinful and separated people. Grace is giving us something we do not deserve. And Paul says that what God did in those predestining us to be in a relationship with his son, in a family relationship, so that according to what he's done, determined by that purposed will that he has, so that we can praise that glorious grace. That's the four prepositions that get us ready for what he wants to, to talk to us about. Because the last preposition is with which. With which. That glorious grace with which. Now, I don't know if you guys watch much baseball. I can't wait till Colmeyer comes. He's usually here in the second service. You know, have you ever watched a batter? You know, they pick up, and while they're getting ready to go um, face the pitcher, the batter's feeling he's bad. He's looking at him. He's got, you know, he's making these choices, the one he wants, with which he's going to try to hit the ball. So what Paul is telling us is the with which that God is going to do all this with which that tool he's going to use to help us be a praising people of that glorious grace, that glorious grace that he, with which he does something to us. His bat on us is that grace, that glorious grace with which he, get your Bibles out. This is the word. We're finally here. That glorious grace with which he, what's your Bible say? I know, I know what some of them are. Just somebody yell it out. What do you say? With which he what? He blessed. Okay, there's one word. With which, he, there's another one. What's another one? What? I'm deaf. Somebody up here, what'd she say? I still can't. Lavished. Lavished. Okay, I know you're probably reading, lavished is, I just read it, see the 
Bible, Christian Standard Bible, CSB, is lavished. Or maybe another translation. So we had blessed, we have lavished. What's another one? It's hard for a deaf man up here to deal with. Favored. Anybody got favored in your Bible? Come on. Maybe. Okay, good. Favored. Now let me tell you why this word's so hard to translate. This word is very, very, and I'm going to capital letter, very unique. This word is only found two times in the whole New Testament. This word is not found. Now listen up. This is not found in classical Greek writing. And so all the Greek writers never chose to use this word that God is going to do for us. Now that ought to catch our attention. And so where is it found? If I said it's two places, I think it's pretty important for us as his people to know, okay, if the word's there only twice in the New Testament, we ought to figure it out. Where's the other time it's found? If you've got your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 1. Got to tell you a little Bible history, a little, a little of the world that this Bible, this New Testament was written in. The book of Luke is written by a Greek. He's written by Luke. The four Gospels, those first four books that tell us about Jesus, there's Matthew. He's a good Jewish guy. Matthew, Mark, Mark is, he was the first one. He listened to Peter. He wrote down everything Peter told him about what he experienced with Jesus. Then there's Luke and there's John. So Matthew, Mark, and John are all Jewish guys. And they've got a Jewish background. They've got a reason that they're writing. But we get the strange duck, Luke. Now, you know where we find Luke? Luke writes two books. He writes the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we discover where he gets started with Paul. Paul has a vision that God wants him to leave Asia and cross and go to Europe. And that is the Macedonian call. He, he hears a man in a vision. God's just saying, tapping him on the shoulder, go. Go across that little channel and go to Europe. And when he starts in Europe, the book of Acts changes its language from he to we. So as Luke is writing the book of Acts, he's, he's now starting to say, we went here. We did this. And so we've got Luke saying, hey, I was hanging out with Paul. Enough that I'm traveling around with Paul. And so those two spent a lot of time together. Now Paul is in jail as he's writing this. Luke is not with him. But here's what I think is a, a bit of introduction to discipleship. I think after the first journey, where it's really Paul's second journey, the first journey Paul's in Europe, he comes back to Jerusalem and Luke's with him. And when you read the first part of the book of Luke, he says, look, I went and did face-to-face -face interviews. I talked to people about what Jesus was like. And so you've got a Greek guy who didn't grow up with the worldview of a Jew, and he's writing down his interviews of people. Luke chapter 1, there's stuff that's nowhere else, because Luke went and talked to people. And you've got, you've got an outsider listening to God's handiwork at work in the Jewish people 
and he talks about before Jesus came, when in the temple, God speaks to a priest, and he says, you're going to have a son, and his name's going to be John, and that, guess what? There's the second thing. God speaks through an angel. Gabriel comes and says to Zacharias, he says, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be John. And Zacharias didn't believe. And he said, because you don't believe, friend, guess what? You're deaf and dumb. You're not going to speak until he's born. And as he comes out of that holy place, he can't talk. And they knew something happened in there. Until John the Baptist is born, on the day he's born, he says, the boy's name is John. And he starts to talk. So Luke got that story. He wrote it down. And then in Luke chapter 1, where, I'm trying to get my word, Luke chapter 1, 28 through 30, he writes the second angel story. Now, Luke writes about angels more than any other New Testament writer. Now, I don't know about you, maybe the Jews are used to angels, I don't know. I'm not used to angels, okay? There's two angel names in the whole Bible, we know two names. It's Gabriel and Michael. So God's let us know he created, these are created beings, they're not weird, they're, we just don't see them. They're messengers from God, that's their job. They bring messages. And we get in on one with Gabriel. Gabriel's already done one, saying the, the one who's going to make a way straight, who's going to come and proclaim my son, his name is John, and he's going to be born of you people. Gabriel said that message. Now, in Luke chapter 1, 28 and 30, we get the second message. And what he says in 28 through 30, well, let me start. I'm going to read it for you out, starting in 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. He says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Last time he was sent, he was sent to Jerusalem. This time he sent, he sent to Nazareth. One's in the south, one's in the north. Different. And he was sent to a virgin whose betrothed or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now listen up. And he came to her, and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with the Lord. Okay, here's the word. It's out of an angel mouth. It's the word, oh, favored one. Now, here's the bummer. In English, we don't have a way to translate this. This is the word bless. or We, we pick the word bless. It's a very unique word. It means graced. You, oh, Mary, are the one who is graced greatly by God. Now, remember the other times angels show up? What happens when an angel shows up usually? People fall down. You know, when they see an angel, they get down real quick. Hey, good night, who is this? The power of an angel. Not Mary. Gabriel shows up with Mary, and she says, what in the world are you saying to me? I've never heard this. That's the word. The word that's in Ephesians chapter 1 that, I'm, that has been translated, blessed, O favored one, lavished. 
that is a verb of the word that Gabriel used when he said, Oh, you, you favored one, you blessed one, you graced one, you one that God knows and is aware of you. You, his grace is on you, oh, favored woman. Now, church family, we ought, we ought to listen to this because I think when, when God speaks like that, when God sends a messenger and talks to Mary, I don't want to embarrass anybody in this room, but I know there's some Catholic background people here. And I want to tell you, Catholic background people, uh, we, we've missed a little bit. We've gone so far away from the worship of Mary that we've missed that she is the favored one. I mean, God said, I'm going to use you, Mary. And she carried, as a virgin, she carried Jesus with all the humiliation. You know, she was engaged. And here she turns up pregnant. Everybody in this room that knows about this process knows what the community would say. Huh, you're not, because engagement, you weren't supposed to be celebrating marriage. That last part of physical relationship was not supposed to be going on. We're supposed to be together, getting to know one another, but none of that. And so when she turns up pregnant, of course, the whole village, everybody around her is saying, and so yet it starts with God coming to her and saying, you are a graced, favored person. God's grace is on you. Now that's a noun. And so here's what I think is so interesting. I think Paul got this word from talking to Luke. I think they, Luke told him, guess, you know, because Paul wasn't around. Paul was not a believer when Jesus is being announced that when Gabriel comes and talks to Mary, Paul's probably not even born yet. Or if he is, he's a very young child. He's not there. And so as Luke captured the story, I can just see the two sitting around going over this story and saying, oh my goodness, what a word. It's, not, it's a very unusual word, this graced one, this favored one, that God's grace is on you, Mary, and you are going to bear God's son. And guess what she does? She takes that and she ponders it in her heart. Now let me ask you, being God's favored daughter, would that get her? Well, the first nine months, it got her a whole lot of humiliation. The next two years, it gets her being on the road. She goes down to Jerusalem, has a baby, and then once the baby's born, then all of a sudden infants are getting executed because Herod wants to do something to kill that king. She goes to Egypt. I'd say that being a favored <laughs> Y'all stay with me here. Being a favored one of God sometimes doesn't look like you expect. But I'll guarantee you his grace on her life was deeper than she ever managed. So it says that when things would happen, she'd ponder it in her heart. She'd, she'd process. This, this one's different. Remember when Jesus was hanging out with the disciples and she and her brothers, the other children she had, they came and said, hey, Jesus, come home. You're, you're getting a little weird. And they came in and said, Jesus, your mother and father, your mother and your family are outside. And he says, listen, my family is you. And offended him. You know, of course it's going to offend people. But he did that. And so Mary, as she's carrying the, the experience, only one person in all of eternity is going to do this. 
That's her. She lived a life that was favored and blessed by God, but yet she had experiences that are just unbelievable. So she's watching her son get crucified. And Jesus looks at John and says, take my mama. You, you be responsible for her now. And we know that she continued on. She lived after Jesus' resurrection. Mary's a part of the community, the church. And so back to my point, Paul and Luke had to have talked about this word. And so let's go back to Ephesians 1, where we're reading through what it says. And that is, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of that glorious grace with which, that grace with which he favored us, he blessed us, he lavished, he, and I like Eugene Peterson's word, he drenched us in his grace. Now that drenching of God's grace on us, from that prison cell, Paul thinks the only other time it's been that rich was when Gabriel spoke to Mary and it started. The drenching of God's grace on her. We get the same grace. We get the same volume. We get the same amount. And so the fourth verb, God's a blesser. See, in English, a lot of Bibles use that same word, so we get lost. You miss the richness of the second time. So he blesses us. He chose us. He predestined us. And he drenched us with that glorious grace that he has for us. Now, one of the processes of the Christian, especially churches like us, Baptist, evangelical churches, is we so believe in the message of coming to know the Lord, of having a personal relationship with Him. We focus on that. We talk about you've got to be saved. Have you received Christ as your personal Savior? Are you in a relationship with Him? And by the way, folks, that's the, that's the door. Come through that door. If you've not done that, if you don't know what I'm talking about, please discover what it is to receive Christ, accept Him, and start walking with Him. But I want you to know, with these verbs, literally that receiving Christ is the front door. We come in, and we have a lifetime right now of growing in the knowledge of the depth and the riches and the, the fullness, the drenching of His grace on us. And you got a guy who's in prison... And he says, this is what makes prison livable. This is what made getting stoned and left for dead. This is what makes getting beat up by brothers. This is what makes being shipwrecked and in the water all night. This is what makes all the bad things in life have meaning. Is how rich that grace, that drenching of that glorious, that revealing of God's grace is for me. And he wants us to receive it. Fourth verb. I'm not going to call it blessed anymore. I'm going to try to start changing it on the screen. We're drenched. He's a drencher. He blesses us with every spiritual blessing. He chose us to be his. He predestined us to have a relationship with him as a family, a child, a son or a daughter of God. 
And he drenched us with that glorious grace. And so what do we do? As we become, now I'm going back to my weird dudes in heaven. Those two little creatures that their eyes are just fixed on him. Do you realize how much they're getting drenched? Do you realize what it is for ever since they were created to today, they still haven't got the bottom of it? It's new every time they say, oh, you are so holy. And they're not done. I think those guys are going to go on for the rest of eternity. And we're going to be late comers. We're going to come in late to see the Lord and say, oh, you are so good. What you've done, your grace for me. And we're going to have specific experiences and specific explanation of his grace being rich on your life personally. You see, he's a personal God. This room is filled with every story is different. And they're all to his glory, his grace. He's unique as he comes to bless you with that glorious grace with which he drenches us. So what's our response? Well, look in Luke chapter 1. The end of the chapter, what does Mary do? Being drenched by God's grace. Starting in verse 47, it says it's a song. Uh, it's got a name. It's really a well-known. It's called the Mag- Magnificat. Mary's song of praise. It's a prayer. And it starts out, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Our response of a blessing, drenching Heavenly Father is that we learn to praise Him and pray more. And prayer is not a a discipline. Prayer becomes a joy. It becomes something that just wells out of our heart as we worship Him. And so, as we consider the fourth verb, which I think is the middle one's got a reason. It's a middle. It's a unique word. It's only, it's an angel word. It was said by Gabriel. And he verbed a noun. That's like how you verb a noun. Dream is a noun. You have a, I dreamed the dream. I verb, I did an activity of the noun. He graced, he lavished, he drenched with his grace. With, his, with the gift of who he is. So he's doing an action to us. Our response to that is we will treat people different. As you know, we've talked before, how we walk worthy of this kind of blessing on our lives, first of all, is our humility. Now, I believe that God chose Mary because he wanted to drench her with his grace. And yet the lady was a humble woman. She treated people, she could have been so proudful. You know, she could have said, y'all, you, not a one of you measure up. I'm the one. You never hear that in her. You hear just the opposite. You hear a very humble woman. Secondly, our gentleness, how we treat one another, all God's goodness is poured out on us that we don't deserve can transform the way that we treat people. Humility with gentleness. Thirdly, with patience, bearing with one another as we walk alongside patiently, allowing God to work in other people's lives the same way he's worked in our life. And then finally, that we are eager to maintain. 
that unity of the Spirit that every one of us are drenched, blessed, chosen, predestined, drenched people by what He's done for us. So I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to lead us in a closing word of prayer, and then I have a, a closing benediction. You know the week before you, we've got kids going to Super Summer, praying that God would drench them with a new taste of His grace. We've got people serving right now at Camp Concedo, helping inner-city kids from Kansas City have a bit of a break. And your week is going to be filled with who knows what. But my prayer is that... Uh, as a result of just being reminded that we are drenched people by His goodness. Let's take that into the week. Let me pray. Father, we do thank You that You chose to send Gabriel and that his message from You was a word of a lavished, favored, drenched grace that, we, that Mary didn't deserve and neither do we. But yet, Father, you want to come alongside of us and tell us that you want to favor us with your grace. We know we're sinful and sin. We know, all of us know, that there's things that we have done that have not been pleasing to you. But yet, because of you loving us and sending your Son to get our attention and to take our sin and the penalty for that sin, you are a loving Heavenly Father. Father, help us more embrace that. Help us be people that are appraising people because of your glorious grace that was poured out. And Father, we want to walk with you this week in that grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the benediction or the, the word that I have for us to depart is this. It's out of Romans 11. And here's what Paul would say in another book. Romans 11, 33 and 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Go be the church.